0: Hello again. It's the best seat in the house. I get to see all of your faces. It's fantastic. I am excited about this Sunday. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this for um, quite some time now. See, um, a couple of months ago, I was having a conversation with one of our wonderful board members, Brad Hayes, who's up in the sound booth there. Everybody turn around and look at him so he can get nice and uncomfortable. Brad prefers to be places like the sound booth and not get attention, but he should get lots of attention because he's a great guy. But we were having this conversation a couple of months ago um, just about church and faith and the way we follow Jesus and, you know, the mysteries of life kind of thing. And um, we were talking about how sometimes faith gets complicated in ways that are unhelpful and also some of the basics of faith get neglected sometimes like our emphasis is sometimes you know over here in the peripherals and not as much here in the in the central things and now if you don't know Brad Brad is a lot like me Brad is a pretty introverted guy I am introverted which does not mean shy for my whole life I've been being accused of being shy and I am not I'm not at all shy and neither is Brad but I'm quiet I'm reserved I like to kind of sit back and observe things I like to listen more than I talk and I don't always open up in a group. But one-on-one conversations about deep things, like that's what makes my soul really happy, and Brad is a lot like that too. He is a thoughtful person, really thoughtful person. And during this conversation that we were having, he hit me with, with this thought that I have just not been able to get out of my head since then. So Brad talked about how in baseball, the person who plays shortstop, like, they have probably fielded, or, or that's like catching by scooping up, grounders. They have fielded so many grounders, and that's a ball that's rolling on the ground instead of having like an airborne trajectory, right? Thousands of those over the course of a career, and the ones that are experts at it, the ones that look super smooth and it's just a pretty thing to watch when you see a game, like, those are the people that have practiced those movements those techniques, over and over and over and over again. And Brad talked about how coaches in all sports, good coaches anyway, they run drills on the fundamentals. You know what I'm talking about? Practicing these basic movements over and over and over again. And while he was talking, I could picture in my mind a coach in the middle of a huddle, like with one of those white dry erase clipboards with all the little X's and the arrows on it and like pointing out to all the players like go here and do this here's where you fit in on this play and then the coach straightens up and says okay run it again run it again run the drill again Practice it until it becomes smooth, it becomes automatic, it becomes natural, second nature. You don't have to think about it. And this sermon series was really born when Brad compared those fundamentals in sports to the core practices of our faith. Practices like prayer, studying scripture, generosity, Community. what we're doing here, gathering together on Sunday morning, silence, solitude, fasting, all of those basic spiritual rhythms that when we practice them over time, they become as natural to us as fielding a grounder was to Honus Wagner, whom Google said was the greatest shortstop of all time, by the way. Now, this is probably as good a time as any for us to have a really important conversation for just a second. I don't know who Honus Wagner is. <laughs> I've never heard of him. I did some fact-checking with a friend this week who did not agree that he was the greatest shortstop of all time, I believe, um, Ozzie Smith. Does that sound right? Okay. Okay. He was on the list too, but not at the top, on Google. But I had to look up a YouTube video about fielding grounders just to make sure that I you know, was explaining it correctly. I don't know very much about sports. I mean, like, a little, maybe a little, but very, very little. So it's, it's a little risky. I'm a little vulnerable here. It's a little risky for me to launch an entire sermon series based on a sports metaphor. Because I could seriously mess something up, couldn't I, like an analogy that I tried to make but I really didn't know what I was talking about and it didn't make any sense. So number one, I'm going to try to keep it simple and stick with what I know. That's good advice for most situations. But number two, I want to make this a little bit fun. So here's the deal. If you catch me at any time during this sermon series, messing up a sports analogy. Like if I get really far out there and I've just, I've just tried to compare two things that don't go together. If I mess up and you catch me, I want you to tell me and I will take you out, I will buy you a cup of coffee and we can drink coffee while you explain to me why I got it wrong, okay? So that offer starts now. So pay attention. Pay attention, there's free coffee in it for you. Okay, but seriously, seriously, I I do know a little bit, okay, a little bit. I went to gym class in school, you know, I learned how to do the things. Um, I watch sports with my friends sometimes, so I know the difference between a baseball inning and a football quarter, I even played basketball in middle school and junior high for a few years, I did. I tried to find a picture, one of my pictures of my, you know, weird little haircut and my giant shoes, and I, I couldn't find it, I'll try, to, I'll try to come up with it for next week, but my first year playing, I think it was in fifth grade, and I was adorable and awkward, and I'm sorry I couldn't find the picture. but. Fifth grade basketball, we ran drills, we practiced, you know, several times a week, and we ran all the drills of, like, the three really simple plays the coach wanted us to know. But half the time, none of us knew what was going on because we were still trying to learn, like, the basic rules and pay attention to those, like, don't pick up the ball until you're ready to pass. Because once you stop dribbling, you can't start doing it again. That's a tough one when you're first starting out. And on defense... Remembering to count the seconds that you're standing in the lane under the basket. Three seconds is your limit. but It's hard to remember to do that when you're brand new and you're like watching the other team coming down the court at you. It's a lot to think about. But by the time I was in eighth grade... I could keep track of all those moving parts and all those details and I could count while I was watching and be aware of what play was what even, you know, when they slapped the ball and yell one. I knew what to do and I could figure out where my place was and everything. Because three years of practice made a difference. Three years of practice made a huge difference. But practice alone, just practice, that's not the whole picture. It's not all there is to it. I love this quote from Michael Jordan, who, you know, basketball was my thing. The Bulls back in the 90s were a pretty spectacular um, phenomenon, but I I used to watch him on TV and watch them play. But um, this quote, I love this quote. He said, you can practice shooting eight hours a day. But if your technique is wrong, then all you become is very good at shooting the wrong way. Get the fundamentals down and the level of everything you do Will rise, that's Michael Jordan so this is also true it doesn't just matter what we practice it matters also how we practice and I'm not sure if there's really any better sports related illustration of this than the golf swing (laughs) my husband is a golfer Uh, He's been golfing since high school and he's been golfing pretty seriously for the past 20 years, a little over 20 years. And the complexity of the golf swing just fascinates me. He's been playing for decades and still sometimes he will come home from a game or come home from the driving range and he will just know that there is something off in his swing. Something is off. Like the ball is not going where he wants it to go and he's slicing every time or is that the slice this way? Okay, thank you. (laughs) A slice and a fade. Is that right? Okay. Ooh, draw. That's better. See, I, I have to take Vince out for coffee now. That could have been you if you were paying attention. But, he knows when that happens that he's doing something to cause that. And listen, I don't know if you play golf or if you know someone who plays golf, but there are approximately 845 million different parts to a golf swing. I swear. Where are your feet? Where are your hands? Where is your head? Where is your shoulders? You know, are you dropping your shoulder? Are you are you rushing your backswing? Are you rushing your downswing? Do you follow through all the way? There are so many things that could be messed up. That's why I gave up trying to learn, by the way. Like... It was so stressful trying to be aware of what every single muscle in my entire body was doing at the same time, like it just was not relaxing, so, so I gave up. But Vince has been playing for so long and practicing for so long that he no longer has to be aware of everything at the same time. It's natural. When something's going wrong, he just has to figure out what is that one thing that's going wrong. And he is relentless until he figures it out. Because he knows that the longer that he does it the wrong way, the more times he hits that ball at the driving range with the wrong motion in place, the more natural and automatic that's going to become. And the more effort that it's going to take to correct it once it's become that ingrained Maybe you saw the letterboard in the lobby when you came in that had that quote from the great golf uh, instructor, professional golf instructor Dave Pels, that says, practice makes permanent. We like to say practice makes perfect, but that's not true, because if you're practicing something the wrong way, it's not perfect, but it sure is permanent. If you practice something, anything the wrong way, over and over and over again. It becomes automatic. And the longer you do it, the more effort it requires to correct. Now, the same is true of our spiritual practices. It's important that we understand the purpose and the heart and the true mechanism of these disciplines that God has given us as gifts to help us experience him and his kingdom. The Bible is packed with guidance in this department. Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. God asked the people of ancient Israel through the prophet Isaiah, is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? The way you're doing it? Is this the way you should be doing it? The prophet Jeremiah talked about eating God's word, that is approaching scripture as though it were sustenance for our starving souls. And Paul talked to the early church about lots of things, giving from your heart with cheerful generosity, gathering together like we're doing today, the discipline of of community and being with one another as being necessary for our spiritual formation And these are the kind of things that we'll be unpacking over the next several weeks. The fundamentals of our faith. The practices that help form us into the likeness of Christ. The tools that God has given us as gifts to help us connect to him. Now, I hope you notice that I use the word gift several times as I've been talking. We're going to do the best we can to remind ourselves as we go that these practices are gifts. They are given to us by a loving God, and they are given to us for our benefit. It is so unfortunate that this subject get so easily twisted into this joyless things to do list and a source of shame when we inevitably fail to live up to the unrealistic expectations that we can sometimes set for ourselves. I spent years feeling like a failure for missing days reading the Bible, or because I struggled to pray just like I was taught to do in a childhood Sunday school class. But I learned over time how creative God is and how diverse the ways that we can connect to him are and how God really cares. He really does care that we are all wired differently to be able to connect to him in different ways. And in fact, he is the one that made it so. Because if we were all the same, if we were all the same, not only would that be boring for us, but wouldn't that be boring for God? Think about that. So I want us to shake off, just like, eat, move around in your seat right now, shake it off, shake off any of that old, unhelpful, unhealthy framework. I do not want you to just hear, oh, we're doing a series on disciplines, and I'm going to do better. Do not start thinking about how to do better. Stop it. Do not run down to Staples and buy a notebook and a bunch of highlighters. Do not. Of course, at the end of this series, we hope That we've all been inspired to incorporate more of these things into our lives on a more consistent basis. But it is not, not, not meant to be a source of shame and you need to do better. It's not a things to do list. As Dallas Willard, one of my very favorite theologians, likes to say, one of the signs of healthy disciplines is how you feel when you don't do them. So remember, please, 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 I'm begging you. Remember, this is this this much about our behavior, and it's this much about our heart. And it is all about God's heart toward us. Which, what is God's heart toward us? God's heart toward us is that we would be whole, that we would be free and that we would enjoy our connection to him just as he enjoys his connection to us. Practice, practice, practice. Run it again. Run it again. Run the play again. Run it again and again and again and again and again until these spiritual rhythms of life become natural and they become regular, they become consistent, and they become automatic. As we close today, I would like to share this quick video with you of a young man who asks some really good
1: questions. Take a look at this. What do you practice every day? What do you practice? Because what you practice, you will get good at. What do you practice? Do you practice joy in your life? Do you practice peace in your life? Do you practice happiness in your life? Or do you practice a lot of complaining? Because if you complain you will get very good at it. And you will get so good at it that you will find fault with everything. Even when there's no fault that a layman cannot see, you, being an expert, will see it. What do you practice? Do you practice anger? Cause if you practice anger, you will get very good at it. And you will get so good at it that the most trivial you'll think, trivial thing, will make you angry. Like sitting in an airplane, watching the sea cross from you, somehow looks better than the one you've been given. And that is so unfair of the airlines. What do you practice? Do you practice being worried? Because if you practice being worried, you will get very good at it. And you will get so good at it that everything will worry you, including the buffalo you don't have. So I propose, if this is true that it's a question of practice, then I propose you practice joy. I'm not sure what
0: the buffalo is about, but I feel like we could come up with some pretty good metaphors there. But the point is, we're all practicing something. What do we want to practice? Do we want to be intentional about the things that we, that we incorporate into the regular rhythms of our life? What do we want to become an expert at? I think joy sounds like a pretty good thing to be an expert at. And some of the things that we're going to unpack over the next few weeks are going to provide a context, provide, provide a mechanism for us to be able to do that. There are a lot of invitations waiting in the next few weeks as we continue to look at the fundamentals of our faith. Let me pray for us as we go.